Peace and love, peace and love. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You know what I am? I'm a housewife that figured it out. Wow, 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 And now, here's the host of Good Things Radio, Brooke Taylor. Well, hello there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Good Things Radio. My name is Brooke Taylor, a housewife who has not figured it out. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a When the world seems to shine like you had too much wine, that's a And yes, back from Italy. It is love. It was love. Ten days in the Holy City, a love affair with history, art, culinary joys. Oh, the food, always the food. And most importantly, the faith I know and love and continue to just fall in love with through the stories of the saints, their cities. So we're going to talk about that on the show coming up. We had 23 pilgrims, including the beloved Tanya Weitzel, who you might be familiar with. She's a writer, a blogger. She was a podcaster. She's a homeschool mom, was at all of our Arise Retreats, she came boldly, I should say, on her own to experience this pilgrimage along with Louise Miller. She was also at our last Arise Retreat. She's this fast walk and Italian talking, beautiful Nona. So she was there, Monsignor, priest, Father Jay Clark, and a really adventurous group as a whole. So on today's show, this is the first program back on regular schedule from pilgrimage. So I'm going to attempt to give you some of the highlights, kind of virtually fold you into the experience of sights and sounds. Also on the show today, new music. I want to talk about an album that has rocked my world. If you are looking for some new songs, I really think you're going to love this and the story behind it. I heard an interview about this last week and every day since it's just been flooding my ears. So I want to talk about that and raising kids, the exceedingly difficult task of parenting, the challenge I'm facing with teenagers. My oldest right now is wrapping up his junior year. He's going to be a senior and I'm struggling. So I'm going to take you into that a little bit and also the role that Our Lady plays in all of that. In the month of May, it is a special time dedicated to the Blessed Mother and of course Mother's Day as well. So So many, many salutes and mystical roses to you and hugs to all the moms, biological, adoptive, spiritual moms. You are needed and you are appreciated. So I just want to say thank you. And we'll talk about that a little bit as well as this time of year. It's graduations. First communions, confirmations. My son Grant is graduating eighth grade. Big deal. My son Gus is graduating. I say in air quotes, uh, kindergarten. So a lot of emotions. I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And no, Mark, no, do not do it. I am not listening to that song. You're putting it in there. Or Butterfly Kisses, or Cinderella, or Sarah McLachlan, I Will Remember You, or Bowie's to Men, The End of the Road, which now I'm aging myself, but that's what we always played. I'm not falling for it, because I'm going to cry anyway. I don't need that. But we are going to get into that a little bit later on in the show. Right now, though, let's talk a little bit of Salami and Saints. Let's go. Okay, so six different cities in 10 days. Do you know how wild that is? It was very busy coming back from Italy, this pilgrimage, and it was not 
for lightweights. I am honestly, I'm still recovering from this adventure and no way, no way in this little program could I do justice to everything we experienced. And I really think, you know, again, the idea that pilgrimage is like life. It goes so fast. We take in so much. And while we're experiencing it, we can only really compute so much. And then it takes a long time to look back and process it all. And I think our days are so busy and full of so much that we do miss a lot. But it was holy and beautiful. And I'm going to give you kind of the cliff notes version of it. So I broke down a couple things. I wrote this down, some bullet points, like overall group itself. Assessment there was fantastic. Amazing people. Amazing to me, again, how quickly you can mesh with people who were previously complete strangers, but you show up with your suitcase and your bags packed and expectations that are completely unknown. And something happens. You get on a bus with these people, you all of a sudden start learning their names and stories and experiencing really intimate things. I mean, when you renew your wedding vows in the company of a small group of people in the dome of, in our case, St. Mary Major, and all the emotions that go with it, and that's really setting the tone for a trip. It's amazing. It was beautiful. And you see what happens when people are just ready to embrace, when they don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to embrace it. I think we had a really good spirit in our group of people that did that. Coolest moment when I put that up in the highlight bullet point, probably the audience with the Pope, which our group had a really great experience with. He was just a few feet away. And guess what? I was I actually wasn't up and there that day because I was sick. You know, I went into this trip already exhausted. We had just come off our Arise retreat. There were a lot of busy things happening leading up to that. And this was the beginning of the trip. So we had this audience with the Pope. I was sick and thinking, if I do this, because you have to get up early and be there for hours. And then he comes in and I'm thinking, I'm going to be out of commission and we're just starting the trip. And I had seen him before. I had gone a couple years prior. But with our tour guide and our group, they know like the sweet spot, when to get in, where to go. And so our little tribe was able to get a really good spot. And I will say our Louise also claims it was her irresistible charm that made Holy Father circle back to our group again because she was sweet-talking the guard. It wasn't the Swiss guard. It was like a Vatican guard. And that's possible, but either way, the joy was palpable. Just to see our group like floating after that experience was really neat. And then for me, a personal highlight, which no way could I pick one, so I'm just going to pick a few and narrow it down. But first, was our mass in the crypt. So you you can make a special request to the Vatican via the priest. So the priest has to do this in right and say, I would like to have mass somewhere in St. Peter's. This was the second experience we had with that. So the first time they assigned us to the St. John the 23rd chapel, because in St. Peter's, it's massive. And there are so many side chapels and little areas that you can go for mass. That was really special because we had been at his canonization a few years prior because he was canonized with St. John Paul II. So that was really neat. And he was the one that facilitated Vatican II. So for Father Jay, it was extraordinary. And that was a few years ago. Didn't think it could get really much better than that until we heard that we were not only going to be assigned a chapel in St. Peter's, but we were going to be below where the bones of St. Peter's are housed and venerated and the grotto, the crypt of the popes, where it's underneath that Scavi excavation tour area. And not only that, 
we were going to be in the Polish chapel. And I learned that the last public act that John Paul II did before his death was to bless, oh boy, (laughs) now here comes the lump in my throat, was to bless the crown for this chapel, okay, for Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the crown that would go in Jasnogora, which is where the Black Madonna is housed in Poland, those two things. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The day we th- were there for Mass was the day, the same day, the anniversary of the day that we met our daughter in Czestochowa, Poland, for the very first time. And so you think, okay, what are the chances of this? All of the chapels and the churches in St. Peter's, all of the dates and times that we could be there. And here we are. And the connection that we first had, Our Lady of Czestochowa and the Black Madonna and John Paul II leading us right there of all the places to Czestochowa, Poland to meet our daughter, then leading us back here underneath in this incredibly holy place, just feet from the bones of St. Peter. And in this chapel that ties back to the Polish chapel in Czestochowa on that day. I mean, forget it. I was a mess all day. And I'm still a mess when I think about it. Because this is how the Lord works in all of our lives. It's a continuing story where he says, I love you, and I'm here, and I'm with you. And in our journey with Carolina, this has been particularly evident. So that definitely was one of the highlights And again, one of the many things I love about pilgrimage, because while that moment may have been unforgettable for us, everybody else had their own moment like that throughout the trip, which is always so, you just get chills. The second highlight for me was when we were in Assisi. And I mean, that, I will always have a special connection with Assisi. And if you've been, I know so many people feel the same way. You just arrive and feel the Lord's presence. The air is sanctified, the view, the Umbrian fields, it just takes you to this vestibule of heaven. And it's a very hilly city, which I forgot (laughs) until we got there. And they don't allow, because the streets are really narrow, so they don't allow tour buses and things like that through the streets. So our bus had to park down where all the other buses parked. We had to walk up to our hotel. And it was not easy, I'm telling you. And we didn't even have our bags. They brought our bags. But we're like, where is this place? And that's one of the things you learn, you know, kind of how life mimics pilgrimage and vice versa, is when you don't know where you're going, it always seems to take forever to get there. And in retrospect, you'd be like, oh, well, the second time you go that route, I know where we're going now. It doesn't seem that long. But the first time you're going, when you're unsure and you don't know when the heck you're actually going to get to your destination, you're like, where is this place? And so we definitely had those moments because our tour guide led the way in every city that we were. And it felt like we had to walk so far, so much. I like exercise. I'm not complaining. But again, I think it's that mindset of where am I? And when am I going to get to where we're going? And so for Assisi, that was the case getting in. And then really, the few days we were there, two days, we had one free day, which I loved. I took the time to write postcards, which I never mailed, by the way, and just sat and journaled and just sat in a piazza and contemplated. And so for us, one of the greatest highlights was the first night that we were there and we had dinner. And the dinners are late for my standard anyway. We're not eating till seven, which is like almost bedtime in my world. But it's nice. You know, you're just kind of living that Italian ambiance. 
after everyone else was kind of they in what would happen a lot of times after dinner is people would still sit up and fellowship and talk and get to know each other over a bottle of wine or whatnot. My husband and I decided to go for a walk and it was the most picture perfect Franciscan brother moon gorgeous night you could imagine. And we walked the streets that were empty. We went to the basilica and over the basilica was this beautiful bright moon. And we just stopped and we prayed for our family. And for both of us, it was at that moment as if no one else existed in the world. And I know many of us know you are just trying to hang on day to day, pay the bills, accomplish the tasks that are set before you. Every now and then see your husband and actually share a smile or a high five or a kiss, which can be really rare depending on where you are in child raising and different stages and chapters of life. And that's where we are right now. I mean, he works nearly seven days a week. We're always running in different directions. And so to have that time with my husband where I could feel even in his body, his shoulders and holding his hand, he was so relaxed to thank God for our lives, the adventure that he set before us when we met and got married, where he'll lead us still and to pray there in Assisi under the stars. My husband's an outdoorsman anyway. It was the highlight for me of the trip. And then we went on and we climbed the hills and there's this castle that's way up above, but there's no lights. It's not lit. And we made it about halfway up. And then I started to get nervous and I thought, let's just go ahead and go back. I don't know if the Wolf of Gubio's here. There might be some wildlife. Jim didn't have any weapons on him. We did that. But the entire experience, was I mean, we felt like kids climbing and exploring and being out at night and it was warm and you could feel the air and the breeze and the stars. And that really is the spirit of Francis, right? If you know him, he was someone that was such a lover of the outdoors. And then we were able to take it the next day. And there is a beautiful, holy place that, again, is above. It's up Mount Sebastio in Assisi. And I mean, you're already there in a viewpoint where you can see the vantage point of Umbria in breathtaking panorama. But then to climb up even higher, where Francis himself used to go, sometimes that's called this trail up this mountain of Mount Sebastio to the Ermo della Carceri, which I could be saying wrong, is sometimes called the Franciscan Way, the Way of Francis. And it's about 4K, four kilometers above the city. The name Carceri is actually Latin, meaning isolated places or prison. So it is in the middle of nowhere, but oh my, it is gorgeous and breathtaking. So in the 13th century, Francis would go, he would pray, he would contemplate. Then other hermits began to go with him. And so then what began to happen is people would follow him to the mountain. They would find their own isolated caves and they would pray there. And then And the friars would occupy it. And there's a reason why they were attracted to that area. It is so gorgeous that you really do feel you are no longer here on this planet. And for my husband, who again, is an outdoorsman, there is no place I don't think that he could find holiness in such a magnified, infused way than this place. But getting there was really rigorous. I had read a little bit about the hike, knew that it was a little bit challenging, but you don't really know. I mean, what's challenging for me might be impossible for someone else. 
I mean, it's all relative, right? <laughs> and so I had read that this was a moderate hike, and we took, you can take a cab or you can take a paved road up. We decided to take off the beaten path. We wanted to go the Franciscan Way, climb the very rugged trail that was there. And that it was ended up being one of the best and one of the worst times because I was worried that some of the pilgrims weren't going to make it. It was stressful. One of our ladies was really severely dehydrated. And then you start to get worried, of course, about everyone because you are in this isolated place. And yes, we can offer it up and we can use it as a, as a deeply spiritual moment. But if someone passes out or doesn't make it, you're also kind of stuck. The phone service wasn't great where we were. So thanks be to God, everyone was able to get through it and do it. But it was one of those times where we really did need faith. We really were praying our way every breath up this mountain. But it was beautiful. And like life, pilgrimages are rarely perfect. And what happened in our case was one of our travelers actually got severe pancreatitis. And on the last day was taken by ambulance to the hospital. It was traumatic. It was scary. He had really been sick from the beginning, but pushed through and toughed it out. None of us really knew. I think he thought he just was having stomach problems. We had a cardiologist, though, thanks be to God, on our trip, recognized, okay, he needs an ambulance. He began to have chest pains, and so they were able to get him taken care of. He and his sister, though, who he went with, they ended up staying at the hotel days after we left. So, you know, I mean, there's always things on these trips that as you relax and you laugh and you pray, you also are holding on and white-knuckling it (laughs) through parts of it, too, just like... I think life. So overall, it was an extraordinary trip. I am missing so much, not able to share so much, but wanted to at least give you that little snippet as we journeyed. And I know so many of you prayed for us. And that was the mission and the purpose for this pilgrimage was taking a notebook of prayers. And when you say you're going to pray for someone, that's a vow. It's a holy vow, in my opinion that you shouldn't take lightly. And so that was a really important part of it is the vocal petitions that we offer during Mass, also the quiet prayers of lighting a candle and leaving each step along the way. I could go also another chapter, another 10 minutes about Padua. I had never been there, blown away by Padua, getting to know St. Anthony in a way I had never known, seeing his jaw, they venerate his jaw, his incorrupt tongue, because he was known for his powerful preaching. And when they exhumed his body Everything had decayed, but his tongue and his vocal apparatus and the church inside was mind-blowing. And I could go a whole other thing about that. And that's what's so hard. How do you kind of tie it up in a nice bow and quickly recap everything in such a short, succinct way? But those were just some of the highlights I wanted to share with you. So thank you for praying for us along the way as well. And in the end, I'm glad to be home. So about a week ago, I was driving my son to baseball and had a chance to hear an interview with Andrew Peterson, really great singer, songwriter, had a chance to interview him when I was at The Fish and Christian Radio. And it caught my ear because the things he was talking about involved C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and this new album that he wrote called Resurrection Letters. I love that title. It's volume one. There's a prologue, a volume one and a volume two. 
And after listening to this interview, I had to go home and pull up this music. And from that moment on, it has been nonstop, heavy rotation in our home. I haven't bought the album, but it's on YouTube. So I just keep playing it over and over and over again. And unfortunately, I can't play snippets because of copyright issues, but I want to at least tell you about it and encourage you, if you are looking for new music, really good music, to check this out. The story behind it says this. A decade ago, Andrew Peterson had been so stirred by implications of the resurrection expressed in N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope and C.S. Lewis' The Great Divorce that he penned an album's worth of songs unpacking those epiphanies. For the intervening decades since the release of Resurrection Letters Volume 2, he's found himself, though, mumbling ambiguous and reluctant answers to the obvious repeated question, when are you going to go back and actually record Volume 1? The songs I wrote for Volume 2 trace the ripple effects of the resurrection, he explains. They explored how it impacted my own life and hopes rather than being specifically about Jesus. I called it Volume 2 because I knew there was a more fundamental part of that story still to tell. The whole church, the whole history of our faith hinges on Christ's resurrection, but I didn't feel adequate to the task of communicating that. So for 10 years, I've carried that insecurity along with the sense that I needed to bring it to completion at some point. And boy, has he. So it starts with a song called His Heart Beats. Boy, did it have me there. Because when you hear His Heart Beats, that song, it's not just talking about the spiritual earthquake of Jesus rising. It talks about that actual moment. A heart that was dead begins to beat again. The veins that had coagulated and the blood that had stopped begins to flow again. And physically, what happens the moment where his heart begins to beat again as the risen Christ? I mean, it's just, I'm just like crying and doing the dishes and my kids are like, what is wrong with you? And why are you listening to the song over and over again? I also really love Risen Indeed is so beautiful because it reminds us of this time of year, the springtime and new life. And I love the imagery of Peter running to the tomb. That's the second song on the album. Remember Me is so good talking about the thief on the cross, but it's also the arc and the melody and and we don't know the half of the hurt that we have done but through our lord he lays down his life willingly for us and came as a king and he like a thief lay there on the cross and hung and the lyrics oh man they're just so good that's what i love about it when you're working with source material like the great divorce from cs lewis and the things that he references let alone we know the gospel accounts and scripture you're starting with a really good foundation as it is and his gift of songwriting is so powerful and delivering that gift so i just wanted to share that with you it's called resurrection letters 1 i've not yet really made it through that adequately to go to resurrection letters 2 first, and I want to start that way. There's also a prologue. I've dabbled in that a little bit, but where I started was Resurrection Letters, Volume 1, and just wanted to share that with you. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu. And so now we are also in the month of May, and it is the month dedicated to Our Lady, of course, Mother's Day. And when I think about that, I think about 
reflecting on this vocation in my own life. Not as much as a wife, although I still struggle daily with that and rejoice in that role, but as a mother. And right now, in particular, with my oldest child, he has ADD. School has really been a challenge for him. Screens have really been a temptation. And motivation and confidence are things that we are constantly working on. And how, when you have a child that doesn't fit the neurotypical mold, do they fit into the traditional school system? And when they don't, how can you help them? I touched on this a little bit with Dr. Aaron Cariotti. And by the way, I can't believe I've gotten this far into the show and haven't referenced those two episodes. You've offered amazing feedback, and I just want to thank you for listening to that program and for sharing that program and reminding me what an ongoing and powerful topic mental health issues are. And I promise you to continue to try to do more programs based on that. Your feedback, your input, it means so much though. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And that was a little bit of my line of questioning. When you have a child and there's a different circumstance happening, you know, how do you walk that tightrope between motivating them and pushing them, but also having mercy on them and grace and giving them some latitude? And if you heard, you know that his answer was fantastic. I've listened to those shows, I'm not kidding, probably like three to five times already because I need to go back to those reminders myself. And in my struggle and in praying a lot of rosaries, a lot of rosaries for my son lately, I am reminded of how good the Holy Spirit is, who knows and loves our children even more than we do. I had a friend I was praying for going into a big meeting, a 504 meeting, which is like an IEP. And that was my thought is Holy Spirit knows even more than the mother who has birthed that baby and sees the challenges every day. What exactly is in the heart? Because I mean, with teenagers, you don't even all the time really know. They could be saying one thing and living one thing and writing things down. But interiorly, what is going on in the mind of that child? Only the Holy Spirit really, truly knows. And I'm relying a lot on that lately, that providence of the Holy Spirit. And I found a really neat prayer. So this I'm sharing for any other moms struggling with teens right now. It's from Creighton Online, and I wanted to share it with you, too, as we wrap up the show. And I love unwrapping the amazing gifts that teenagers are. And so even when I saw the heading of this prayer, I cringed a little bit because we're all moody at times. The name of it is for mothers coping with moody teenagers. But I've had a really rough week, and I know that I'm not the only one out there who can relate. So I'm sharing this with you and just inviting us all to pray for one another as mothers, spiritual mothers, adoptive mothers, biological mothers, and mothers of teenagers right now. So if you would join me in prayer, it says, Dear Lord, I have had it. I am at the end of my rope. You know how much I I love this child. Only you know the thousands of times I have prayed to you for the safety, wisdom, health, happiness, and life dreams for this beloved child of mine. But right now, this child has turned into a mouthy, moody, sullen, non-communicative teenager. My prayers now are asking for guidance and patience for me. Help me, Lord. Sometimes at night, I can find my loved child asleep and peaceful. And I remember all over again with a great rush of love just why you blessed me as a mother. But today, this week, this month, it's just hard. Help me to remember in every situation that I love this child deeply and with all my heart. Give me the wisdom to say the right thing and the wisdom to say nothing when that's the right thing. Give me patience. Help me to remember that this struggle 
against me as a part of growing and becoming an adult. I want to remember that it is hard for both of us and that I am at least the one who has memories of my own experience of those years. Help me to keep a cool head, loving God. I am humbled by my powerlessness at times. Let me remember that I am not in control and have never been. You are, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. I I also want to say thank you to the ladies of Bailey Road Christian Church and Grace Summit Community Church, Marianne Leonard Smith, who invited me to speak in the Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio area to give three talks, PowerPoint presentation, breakout sessions. It was a full retreat day. I needed it. My heart needed it. It was one of those experiences that was so warm and welcoming. You just felt carried throughout the day. So beautiful, wonderful hospitality there. Thank you to the ladies. A big thank you to my producer Mark Cumming from Coming Home Studio, who is currently in New York producing the show right now. What a class act guy. He is a producer extraordinaire and wears many hats. Thank you to Mark for his dynamic skills and quick work. And for any audio needs you may have, check him out at cominghomestudios.com. We love to hear from you. Feedback at goodthingsradio.com is how you can share a thought, opinion, idea, Voxer too. Brooke Taylor and the number one, Brooke with an E, is how you can find me. Social media too, same name on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find me, Brooke or Good Things Radio. Would love to connect with you there. In the upcoming next couple weeks, we've got some announcements about the next Arise Retreat. I really urge you not to miss this. It's a pretty major announcement and just some more things coming down the pike. So God bless you. Have a grace-filled, loving Mother's Day. Until next time, friends. God bless and keep you.